Normal broadcasting has been discontinued. Coming to you from Portland, Oregon. The sports business capital of North America. Keep your radio tuned to this frequency. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Now, your host. I tell you, I've never seen anything like that guy. Brian Berger. Well, thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Glad to be back with you after a week off. Hope you had a nice Labor Day weekend. In segment three, John Aurand, he's the sports media reporter for the Sports Business Journal and the Sports Business Daily. He's going to join us to discuss a plethora of topics with the sports media. NFL coverage, the latest on the direct TV against versus negotiations. That's all coming up in segment three. In segment four, Sports Sense, Lamel McMorris, he's the lead negotiator and spokesperson for the NBA referees and the Major League Baseball umpires unions. McMorris joined me earlier this week to discuss the tense labor negotiations with the NBA that could see the NBA lock out its referees for the first time since 1995. And let me tell you what, he doesn't pull any punches during our interview, especially when discussing NBA Commissioner David Stern. You'll definitely want to tune in for my conversation with Lamel McMorris in segment four. A couple of other notes, visit my sports business blog or download the SBR podcast on demand. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com, become our Facebook friend, or follow me via Twitter. Just visit my blog at sportsbusinessradio.com, link to the Sports Business Radio Facebook and Twitter pages, my handle for Twitter, SB Radio. I'm joined in studio by our producer, Bobby Corser and Nathan Roach. Uh, the NFL season underway, Nathan, and as we'll discuss in headlines, this may be the last season where we see this league structured the way it is currently. We've got a lockout looming in 2011. We could have an uncapped season next year. We're looking at potentially some blackout dates this year because attendance could be down. A lot of different things could be happening with the NFL after the season. Yeah, and personally, I think the biggest one is the lockout, to pay attention to the lockout, because we see what a disaster a lockout can be for any league, whether it's Major League Baseball or the NFL. So that's the one I'm going to pay attention to closely. Well, and the other thing that could happen is we see with Major League Baseball, there's no salary cap, and there's the haves and the have-nots. The NFL could quickly become such a league. We'll tell you more about that coming up in headlines. You're listening to Sports. Business Radio will be right back. This is Brian Berger from Sports Business Radio. I know many of our listeners dream of a job in the sports industry but don't know where to begin. To me, it's an easy call. Go where sports business education got its start at the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. It's the first business school in the country to offer undergraduate and graduate programs themed around this multi-billion dollar industry. The Warsaw Center offers a unique blend and strong general business training, sports business curriculum taught by industry experts, and rich out-of-classroom experiences, including real-world consulting projects, study tours, and internships. With a strong industry and alumni network and a staff dedicated to accelerating your career, the Warsaw Center has a proven track record of placing students in teams, league offices, corporate sponsors, marketing agencies, sports media, and sports shoe and apparel firms. 
But like any elite team, there's only a few spots on the roster. To learn more, visit sportsbusinessradio.com for a link to the center's website. The Warsaw Sports Marketing Center. Passion, integrity, and leadership in sports business education. This is Sports Business Radio. It's time for this week's Sports Business Radio headline, sponsored by the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. Visit warsawcenter.com for more information. Headline number one, the NFL season got underway on Thursday night. 2009 will likely be the last season that we see the business of the NFL structured as it is currently. With an uncapped year in 2010, a potential lockout in 2011, and several owners, including the Cowboys' Jerry Jones, wanting to do away with revenue sharing, there are sure to be lots of changes ahead, Nathan. Uh, you know, Demora Smith, the new Players Union rep, and Roger Goodell have had some meetings, but there's a lot of people thinking a lockout could be looming. The uncapped season next year, we see in baseball, the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Mets, the Cubs, the big market teams have lots of money to spend because there's no salary cap. Well, the NFL, imagine the Redskins, the Cowboys, uh, the Giants, these teams in big markets with lots of money, they will become the haves and the Green Bay, the Kansas Cities, the Minnesotas, the have-nots, if we have an uncapped season in 2010, it will really affect the landscape of competition in the NFL. Well, I think this is unfortunate because I really like the way that the NFL is currently structured. That's one of the, the downfalls for me to Major League Baseball is the Yankees and the Red Sox. But what's ironic is even if this happens, pay attention to see if some of those lower market teams still contend for a Super Bowl title as we've seen in Major League Baseball. Yeah, we'll definitely watch this closely. It's going to be one of the big news topics of the NFL season. We'll tell you about another thing to watch for in the NFL season in the final segment of our show today. Our next headline, more NFL news. The league announced Thursday that John Madden, who retired as a broadcaster earlier this year, would advise NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell on matters pertaining to the game, including competitive issues, coaching and personnel development, technology innovations, player safety, and the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Madden will be unpaid in this position. He'll chair the coaches' subcommittee to the competition committee, which reports in prior to the league's annual meetings. This is interesting. A lot of people thought, you know, is John Madden going to ride off into the sunset now that he's not a broadcaster? He's made millions and millions of dollars, not only as a broadcaster, but also with the Madden football video game from EA Sports. He doesn't need to work. That's why this is an unpaid position. But he's got a passion for the game. So it's interesting that we see this announcement this week. Yeah, I can't help but think of Frank Caliendo uh, imitating Madden, uh, advising Roger Goodell here in this uh, in this move. You know there's a Saturday Night Live skit there somewhere to be had or some kind of comedy skit somewhere. But, uh, you know, Madden is passionate about football, so anytime he's involved with the league, uh, it'll be good. For the record, I thought Chris Collinsworth did a, a great job uh, with Al Michaels on Thursday night in the Pittsburgh-Tennessee game. Our next headline... The U.S. Open, boy, an epic year for the Open so far. They set an all-time first-week attendance record, over 423,000 people turning out. Uh, They had multiple days of 61,000. That's the first time that they've ever had multiple crowds of more than 61,000 in a given year. USOpen.org had a record 23.3 million visits in the first week. That's a 71% increase from last year. The new USOpen.org iPhone application was downloaded 175,000 times. Then Nathan TV ratings on CBS and 
on ESPN2, very, very good. ESPN2, well ahead of where the USA Network was last year. Well, a couple of things for me. I, first of all, i got to give a shout-out to Travis Parrott, who won the mixed doubles title. Travis is a close friend of mine. It's his first major victory uh, at the U.S. Open. Unseeded, knocked off four seeds, so that's great. And I got some beef with the iPhone application. We couldn't watch video. With all of the video iPhone applications between golf and the U.S. Open and golf and the NCAA basketball tournament, how could they create an application where you couldn't watch video? Now, the story of the U.S. Open to date has been 17-year-old American Melanie O'Dine. Uh, she's making, she made the women's quarterfinals, and you know she kind of was the darling of the tournament thus far. And it's at a perfect time for her. Her contracts with Adidas and Wilson are expiring soon. She signed a big deal right before the quarterfinals match that she ended up losing with Back Office Associates, which is a data mining firm. And she's received several endorsement offers from hotel chains after there was a mix-up and she was removed from her hotel, the Marriott, in New York. The Marriott came off looking pretty bad in the media. Maybe they shouldn't have, but the bottom line is this, is... Other hotel chains saw an opportunity, they grabbed it, and she might be signing with a hotel chain. Well, to her credit, she only booked the room through a certain point, so the Marriott didn't know who she was like the rest of the U.S. until she got that far. So I don't know that I'd come down as hard on the Marriott as some other media members, but uh, Yeah, I mean, if you're in guest services, you got to figure that kind of stuff out. Yes, you do. Our last headline of the week, our good friend Michael Phelps announced that he has a new contract with Speedo. It's going to run through the year 2013. Terms of the agreement were not available. As part of the deal, Speedo will donate $10,000 to the Michael Phelps Foundation for every world record that Phelps sets. You may recall that Speedo paid Phelps a $1 million bonus for breaking Mark Spitz's record of seven gold medals in a single Olympics when he won eight medals in Beijing in 2008. Coming up next, John Aurand. He's our new sports media expert He's with the Sports Business Daily and the Sports Business Journal. We're going to talk about some of the broadcast pairings you will see in the NFL boost this season. We'll also give you an update on the battle going on between Versus and DirecTV. Versus was dropped from DirecTV this week. Will they be added again at some point? We'll discuss that with John Auer. And that's coming up next. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. My guest is Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Let's go back to the year 2000, the year before you bought the Mavericks. They were 40 and 42. Fan interest was pretty lukewarm. When you bought this team, what did you see in this team? What was the potential that you saw to get them to where they are today? Probably none. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. I think the reason why we have a BCS-type system in Division 1A and elsewhere we have playoffs is that the schools in Division 1A feel that the regular season is the most important aspect of football. Read the Sports Business blog and listen to SBR On Demand at sportsbusinessradio.com. See, I think that's the big thing. Sports Business Radio, Saturday. <laughs> Or online at sportsbusinessradio.com. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. My guest is John Auerend. He is the sports media reporter for the Sports Business Journal and the Sports Business Daily. John, thanks for joining us this week on Sports Business Radio. Thank you, Brian. I'm really happy to be here. 
Thanks. So, John, the NFL season underway this week. Uh, a lot of people very excited about that. There are going to be some changes that the fans will notice in the TV booth, some marquee names that have left and some other big names replacing them. Let's start with John Gruden replacing Tony Kornheiser on Monday Night Football on ESPN. How do you think Gruden will fare? A lot of people very critical of the combination of uh, – that they had last year in the booth, and they didn't think that Kornheiser was the right fit, and they think Gruden will be a better fit. What's your thought? Well, they have Gruden in there and for the sole reason of just really boring down and getting into X's and O's, and it seems to make perfect sense to me in terms of ESPN because ESPN being the all-sports network for the past couple of years, they've had Tony Kornheiser there, who's a sports writer, but... He was really there mainly to be like a Howard Cosell figure and really to to be more entertainment-focused, which you know also makes sense for, uh, to me in, in a certain respect because Howard Cosell did it well, you know, what was that, 30 years ago. But people seem to hate it, especially on ESPN where they really thought it should be, you know, in the third quarter you should be talking about the game and you shouldn't be sort of referencing some sort of, you know, American Idol or, or or mass media. So they they brought in Gruden, and uh, the the early reviews on Gruden, which have only been preseason, so it's a little difficult to judge. But the early reviews really have been almost uniformly like positive from from what I've seen. So I think people are really going to like having him and Jaworski going and bantering uh, back and forth for the X's and O's. Yeah, I like the hire, and I'm probably in the school. Let's stick to football and and less uh, commentary and and comedic hour you know we saw Dennis Miller in that seat a while ago then they bring Kornheiser in I like Jaworski and Gruden together and you know I guess we'll see how the ratings reflect that obviously the matchups are the number one draw but I think it does matter to people who's calling these games speaking of uh, new people calling the games John Madden who has been a staple of the NFL football broadcast for a number of years he'll be missing for the first time this year NBC's replacing him with Chris Collinsworth. So Collinsworth and Al Michaels will call the Sunday night football games on NBC. But then NBC's got a large cast of characters for Sunday night football. Bob Costas is going to go on the road now with Michaels and Collinsworth and anchor the pregame and postgame coverage. Then back in the studio in New York, you've got Tony Dungy and Rodney Harrison who are going to join Keith Olbermann, Dan Patrick, and Peter King. John, I don't know what your thoughts are. I like all of these names. I wonder if it's too many cooks in the kitchen. It, it is the biggest pregame show ever. I, I, I do think that uh, you know Madden, for me personally, he had lost his fastball for like about five years, and, and I, I used to aggravate me to, 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 to hear him. So I, I was really surprised when I turned, turned into the, the first uh, NBC game, and I, I was listening, and I missed, I missed his voice. I mean, he... It, it was like Pat Summerall of the you know seventies and eighties. I mean, he's so much identified with with uh, with the NFL, and and I I you know was really surprised at, at how much I missed that. Um, you know, NBC has taken a lot of grief over the size of its pregame show and and the amount of people they have there, and that you know they tried to break it up with players on one side and and uh, and you know the commentators on the other side and. They're, they're they're trying to do a ton of things and and to, to really make it work and make it sing. The the main problem that that they run into is that their pregame show goes from seven to eight, and typically the late afternoon uh, Sunday game on Fox and CBS, those never end. Uh, it seems 
before 7.30. So they're going up, you know, they're, they're doing a pregame show, and they're going up against a live football game. And, and I think that they've, they've been really hurt by, you know, uh, ratings-wise, by people sticking with the live games. And then Fox has been, in particular, they've had a post-game show, which has kept people from you know, going over to Sunday Night Football as well. Um, I have to say that the, the people that NBC has, you know, from Dick Ebersole on down, putting together the, the, um, the, the pregame show, I, I, I mean, they, they know a whole lot more about what people like on TV than I do. So I, I trust that, that, that they'll you know, figure out the balance at some point. We're joined by John Aurend. He is the sports media reporter for the Sports Business Journal and the Sports Business Daily. John, let's talk about ad sales for Super Bowl 43 on CBS and the Vancouver Winter Olympics on NBC. I know you guys have covered this extensively in the Daily and the Journal. At what point does CBS and NBC hit the panic button? I mean, we're a few months away from these events, and uh, you know the sales are lagging. When do they hit the panic button? Uh, well, you know, they haven't hit the panic but, but, button yet, even though the, the sales are so far down compared to last year. And a lot of that is because that's, that, you know, that's the new reality in TV. The, the ad market is, is breaking so much later than, than it broke last year and the year before and the year before. So, so everybody's sort of like taking a deep breath and, and figuring it out. I mean, it, if you're selling these high-priced events, you don't want to panic too early and 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 set the market too low, and then you know then you're stuck. Uh, I, I think that the Super Bowl is doing a whole lot better than the Winter Olympics. You have Anheuser Busch has committed; they have a long multi-year deal where they take ten spots, and those are ten high-priced spots, you know, over two million dollars each, to get into the Super Bowl. So they start from a pretty good base, and they have less inventory to sell. They're, they're less ads they have to sell because the Super Bowl is just one sort of three-hour game with a, what is it, a 20-hour pregame this year? Yeah, exactly. But but a big pregame show. The Winter Olympics, it's not only two weeks, but it's two weeks on about 10 cable channels with broadband thrown in, so they have a whole lot more to sell. So if I'm panicking, I'm probably, if I'm guessing, I'm, I'm betting that uh, NBC's panicking a little bit more than CBS is because the Super Bowl is going to sell, so is the Winter Olympics, and and. Right now, they're just sort of dickering in terms of price and figuring out what, you know, where that price point's going to be. But the interesting thing to note is it sounds like, you know, for the last several years, we've seen the price of a 30-second Super Bowl spot go higher and higher and higher. It sounds like for the first time in a long time, that price is going to drop this year. Is that accurate? I, I, think, it, I, I think that has to be accurate. I mean, the, last year, NBC came out at $3 million and— uh, and and they were getting it. And in fact, one one ad sales guy explained to me it was like ad sales is quantum physics here. But every reaction makes it an equal reaction. And so what happened when Fox had the Super Bowl two years ago, everybody rushed, uh, or rather nobody rushed to buy. Everybody sort of held back late. Well, Fox did really well in terms of selling it out and bringing in new advertisers. So the people that waited, they really got burned because there were no spots left. So last year when NBC had it and they pushed it up to $3 million, a lot of these advertisers are saying, oh, well, we're not going to get burned again. So a whole bunch came on early, and then if the, the ones that held out and waited, you know, cash for gold ended up getting a spot. So the, so the ones that had, ended up waiting, were, you know, it, it worked out well. So this year, everybody learned from that, so everybody's kind of waiting. And unfortunately for CBS, the, the, the ad market isn't, you know, isn't humming like it used to. 
John, let's move on and talk about DirecTV and Versus. These two have been at the bargaining table, and we see this week that DirecTV officially dropped Versus from their lineup. This has a ripple effect on many, many things. I mean, the NHL, the Tour de France, there's a lot of big things that air on Versus. Now they've got to go to those organizations and leagues and say, look, we just lost several million viewers because we're not on DirecTV anymore. What's the latest on the negotiations between these two sides, or have the negotiations been cut off? Well, they they talked the day that that DirecTV dropped the channel. They talked early in the morning, and then they didn't talk again for about a week. But I was told that uh, um, just uh, one or two days ago, uh, the, the two sides sort of, I'm not sure who reached out to whom, but somebody reached out to the other, and they started talking again. So. It is possible that, that, that there could be some movement in, in, over there. Um, but I, I, having talked to people at DirecTV and having talked to people at, at Versus, they, they, both, they both seem willing to sort of take this, uh, take this for a while. So if, if, I were to, if I'm betting on this, and this is, you know, I'm wrong as often as I'm right. If I'm betting on this, I'm betting it goes, you know, deep into the hockey season, possibly as far as the Stanley Cup playoffs, because I – I think that that Directv and and a lot of the a lot of the cable operators they you know they they see the NHL launching a network, the NFL launching a network, college conferences launching networks, and all of these networks are high priced. And every time their contracts come up, they ask for for an increase, which is what uh, Versus is doing now. And at some point, if if you're Directv, you just got to say, okay, you know, this is this is one this is one network. Where I where I can say no, and it's, and it, it was easy, especially to say no to versus because they just got through August, and you said that they have a lot of big events, which they do. They have the Tour de France and they have hockey. They had nothing in August, and other than like three or four football games, they have nothing in September. So versus is just they can't wait for hockey to start because that that's when their you know big event programming starts to take hold. See, and I just don't see what leverage versus has here. I mean, yes, they have some some nice things, but I mean. The NHL isn't what it used to be. The Tour de France is, a, I think, a niche event. So if you're versus and you're not carrying on DirecTV, like I said, how do you go back to these respective organizations or leagues and say, look, we just lost several million viewers? What's their leverage here? Why wouldn't they say, all right, look, uh, they dropped us. We need to get back on. We're getting pressure from the people that we work with and the entities where we air these broadcasts. I don't see why this doesn't get done at some point. Yeah, I mean that's a great point. Versus right now, their leverage is with their games and their with the individual games. So this weekend, uh, University of Texas is is playing um, the guy. God, I forget who they're playing. Uh, Mountain West School, and so Versus is all through Texas, just buying advertising and really marketing the fact that um, that Directv doesn't have it, and that people, if you if you want it, you got to get cable or you got to get Verizon or AT and T, and and what Versus is trying to do is, is make this. If this hurts Directv's pocketbook, then Directv will come back to the uh, come back to the table and 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 make it work. I I think that they don't have a lot of leverage. I think this is like a one-off game, uh, college football game, and I think that their leverage is really going to start with the Stanley Cup playoffs because I think if you know you're a Buffalo Sabres fan in Buffalo and all of a sudden you can't watch the Sabres because you know that those games are exclusively on Versus, you know there's going to be hell to pay. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to watch. Last question for you, uh, Major League Baseball playoffs getting ready to start in a few weeks. We're going to see some changes with the ALCS 
and with the World Series on Fox. Finally, we're going to see some earlier start times. Looks like 7.57 p.m. Eastern time, which is earlier than they've started in decades. What are your thoughts on that? Because the ratings for the World Series and even for the ALCS, they've been down in recent years. We've even seen some uh, you know, historic lows. Do you think this might help? And I know it's a lot based on the matchup, but I think you know the time that the game start does have something to do with it. You know, the, uh, the, I, as somebody that lives in Washington, D.C., and as somebody who has a 10-year-old son who, has, who wasn't even able to see one pitch of the All-Star game this year, hmm. I, I, the start times, they just really just bug the hell out of me. And, and I, I've always thought that they, they should start earlier, and I've always thought that like, there should be a day game in, in, in the World Series, for goodness sakes. You know, it's just, just something that, that, to reach back to the past. Unfortunately, like... I, talking to Fox and talking to ESPN, every bit of research shows that earlier start times don't lead to higher ratings. And and uh, going to going to a Nationals game or going to an Orioles game, you see a ton of kids in the in the stands. So I don't I, I'm not certain that it's actually hurting you know the the the, the younger demographic. So I, I think it's uh, I think that last World Series. They went on. They had so many rain delays, and they went on so late. I think. I think one game ended right around two a.m. Right, you know, and so they de- they had to do something about that. But I, I wouldn't see this as a massive trend. Uh, I mean, you take a look at the NBA Finals. Those start at at nine p.m. And every single one of these networks can show you research that the highest ratings of, of the game are like after eleven o'clock, like when people stop watching their primetime shows and they sort of come over to to, to watch or. After 11:30, after they watch our local news and they come over to watch, and that's that's you know certainly not when you know the kids are watching for goodness sake. So it's a it, it's a quandary for me. I'm, I'm happy because like my son's going to be able to see an inning or two of a uh, of, of postseason <laughs> baseball uh, this week. But finally, yeah, I, I don't think it's a part of any sort of grand trend, unfortunately. Well, it'll be interesting to watch. John, you do wonderful work covering the world of sports media. How can people find you? I know you're on Twitter. I follow you on Twitter. Uh, throw out some plugs for how people can find you. Uh, I'm on Twitter at uh, Oran underscore SPJ, and I am with uh, Sports Business Journal, which is at uh, sportsbusinessjournal.com, and Sports Business Daily, which is at sportsbusinessdaily.com. Uh, those two websites are pay websites. Um, but, uh, but you follow me on Twitter, and I usually tweet out like uh, a lot of what I'm hearing and writing about. John, I appreciate you making time for us this week. I'd love to have you on again sometime in the future. Absolutely. I had a lot of fun, Brian. Thanks a lot. Thank you very much. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. When I'm looking for a place to have dinner with family, friends, or business associates, there's only one restaurant on my list. Morton's The Steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. In its 28th year in business, Morton serves only the finest quality foods, featuring USDA prime-age beef, fresh seafood, hand-picked produce, and decadent desserts prepared to perfection, not to mention the award-winning wine list. When my destination is Morton's, the best is always on the menu, and they treat me like a VIP during every visit, whether in the dining room or the private boardrooms. With almost 75 restaurants conveniently located around the world, Morton's is the gold standard when it comes to steakhouses. To find the Morton's nearest you or to make a reservation, go online to mortons.com. Morton's, the best steak anywhere and the official steakhouse of Sports Business Radio. 
one-on-one with those making the big-time decisions that impact your sport. This is Sports Sense on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. My guest is Lamel McMorris. He's the lead negotiator and spokesperson for the NBA referees and Major League Baseball umpires unions. Lamel, I know it's been a busy week for you. Thanks for joining us here on uh, Sports Business Radio. Thanks for having me, Brian. So, Lamel, before we get started, just explain to our audience kind of what your role is as the lead negotiator and spokesperson for these two very high-profile entities. You know, uh, it, I had a team, uh, at least on the NBA referee side, of, of uh, three persons on my staff. And then uh, I'm joined by the executive committee of the referees uh, who join us in the negotiations. And, you know, we act as the the chief mediator, if you will, between the NBA office and their referees. And we help uh, try to push the, uh, uh, the contract along and help and handle all the business affairs as it relates to the collective bargaining uh, process. So it came to light that you met this past Tuesday with NBA Commissioner David Stern. It sounds like the talks did not go well, and not only did they not go well, but I read in the New York Times where you said that Commissioner Stern acted unprofessionally and disrespectfully. How was Commissioner yeah. Stern unprofessional and disrespectful in those conversations? You know, actually, uh, the meeting again took place uh, on Tuesday, September 8th, at uh, the NBA League offices in New York. Uh, Commissioner Stern was joined by several executives and attorneys on his side. And, of course, my team and I were joined by uh, the board of the referees. And, you know, frankly, Brian, the meeting was going absolutely great. Uh, We were having a very cordial, productive session, talking a lot about uh, some of the issues. And I I think uh, that that David Stern may have heard something that he didn't like, and he just – you know, ended the meeting abruptly, yelled, screamed, and said to us, uh, go over and go do your deal with Major League Baseball. Go go finish your, your deal there. And uh, threw us out. Wow. That's, uh, that's not how you want to have negotiations go. So, I mean, the NBA season is coming up quickly. The preseason starts in, in just a few weeks. Where do you go from here? Are there any negotiations scheduled or... Uh, you know, what's the next step for you, Lamel? Well, uh, scheduled, uh, there's a coaches referee summit that normally takes place in Chicago. That's uh, supposed to go uh, Monday and Tuesday. We obviously won't be there. You have uh, our annual fall training camp, which is scheduled uh, for September 20th. Uh, so far, we obviously won't be there. Uh, you know, Brian, we didn't end uh, the session on Tuesday. So uh, I guess you know, we're open to going back to the table. And, and frankly, we've been open to getting a deal done. And we thought that we'd be able to walk out of that meeting on Tuesday, uh, at least being able to call a meeting of our group to ratify uh, uh, a new collective bargaining agreement. It, we, it was our objective to not leave until we uh, left there with a deal done. Uh, but uh, we'll meet and convene still on next Wednesday in Chicago as a group, and we'll uh, convene the entire organization and body of the referees, and we'll talk about where we are now. Yeah, what do you tell? There's 60 plus referees. What do you tell the 60 plus referees when you meet with them next week? I think it's important to do a thorough overview uh, for the referees and let them know, uh, you know, present the, the proposals, ours uh, versus 
sideline with the uh, with the NBA's proposals, and to give them kind of a a, a a timeline of how we arrive to this point. I think it's important for every official to be informed, uh, so that the decisions that we all make collectively from this point going forward are good decisions, and they're based on real-time information and facts and not rumors. So, Lamel, like you said, you were in that meeting on Tuesday. You were sitting in the same room with Commissioner Stern. You said he may not have liked something he heard. What's your best guess as to why he ended the meeting so abruptly, and what are the main sticking points here for getting a deal done? Yeah, I think that uh, the NBA is demanding uh, several systemic changes in the referee uh, program's cost structure. Uh, I think the NBA wants to accelerate the departures of older referees without violating federal and state age discrimination laws. So one way to do that, uh, if you want to get some folks out of the way, but yet you don't want to you know, leave yourself open to discrimination lawsuits, is you put forth a certain set of proposals uh, that would ease some folks out of the door, freeze the pension plan, move to a defined contribution plan, phase out uh, some elements of the, the retirement plan, and, you know, probably work to cut the severance program. And I think uh, that's probably somewhere in what they are demanding uh, as it relates to those systemic changes and our disagreement with how that should go forward. I think that's probably where our issues lie. Look, let me let me be very clear. Uh, We have negotiated in good faith. Uh, We have put up back, given back. You know, we've we've bought into the the need uh, for cost savings. We recognize where our country is right now economically. Uh, That's why we've been willing to put back, you know, well over two and a half million dollars back on the table. But, you know, both sides have to be willing to negotiate. And just because you don't get your way, and, you know, we don't do what, exactly what you tell us to do. That's not a negotiation. You can't throw a temper tantrum and you can't, you know, you know, you can't end what was a productive meeting. Lamel, do you think this has anything to do with Commissioner Stern and the NBA trying to send a message that they're going to take a hard line in 2011 when the players union and the NBA have to sit down and negotiate? Well, you know, Brian, it's hard not to draw that conclusion when, you know, Let's say, according to the NBA, they spend $32 million uh, on the referee program, right? And they tell us that they want to message to the owners a 10% uh, 10 cost savings. So that's $3.2 million. So if we're, you know, a little over $2.5 million, $2.6 million, and the number that we're really trying to get to is $3.9 million, you know, $3.2 million, it's not, you know, you have to ask yourself, you know, it's five or six hundred thousand dollars enough to lock out your employees. I mean, five or six hundred thousand dollars—that's probably the food and beverage budget. It's probably not even half the food and beverage budget at All Star. Uh, so you—you you know, the only conclusion for some of us to draw is that maybe there's another objective here. That, that perhaps we're being used to send a message to others who have, you know, some negotiations coming up with the NBA. Because you, you know, I can't imagine that the owners and you know, players and fans can see that, you know, if this is the gap between uh, where we are, that this is, you know, this justifies locking out your employees. 
You're listening to Sports Business Radio, and I'm joined by Lamel McMorris. He is the lead negotiator and spokesperson for the NBA referees and the Major League Baseball umpires unions. Lamel, I got to tell you, you never hear about referees or umpires unless there's something that's gone wrong. You never hear anyone say, hey, that guy called a great game behind home right, plate. Or, hey, right. man, that guy really called a tight game in that NBA game last night, kept everything under control. You only hear when things go wrong. What a thankless sure. job for these men that you represent. And, you know, I understand they're well compensated, but uh, how much does that play into the psyche of these men that you represent? You know what? Uh, these men uh, and, and women, woman, yes, uh, sorry. by the way, in the NBA, uh, they love what they do. They are passionate about their jobs. They take their jobs very serious. Trust me. Uh, the uh, the anger of a fan about a supposed misplay by an official drives them crazier than it does that fan. They go out every day, every night, trying to get it right. But they also recognize that you know, with their job comes an incredible amount of scrutiny. It you know, if your team loses or you uh, uh, you know they're human, if the, a bad play is made, I mean, of course you're gonna uh, you know. That's, they're the first folks you're going to go after, and that's just part of part of what it is. I think, though, uh, the naysayers and the critics get more uh, uh, their voices heard louder than those who actually recognize that these folks do a great job, and it's a very difficult job, and they should be commended. Uh, but you know, the praise uh, never gets uh, as, as loud of a voice as the negativity. Lamel, obviously, the Tim Donaghy scandal. Uh, made a lot of headlines. How much more scrutiny? We just talked about scrutiny. How much more scrutiny are the NBA officials under since that scandal? Well, there's been uh, there have been some enhancements uh, as it relates to background checks and uh, you know certain security measures that have been put in place in terms of their activities as they arrive to the stadium and et cetera. And, and by the way. We're with that. Uh, we don't. We don't disagree because we don't uh, want the Tim Donaghy's of the world to be a part of our profession. Uh, but we're also not going to be defined by the the mishaps and the uh, you know the illegal activity of one person. Uh, and and we believe that that it's it's it starts and ends right there with that one person. And so you know, no one. As I stated previously, no one wants to do a better job. No one is as passionate about their job as these folks who work on the court and, and, and on, the, uh, on the playing field. And so, you know, we don't tolerate and will not tolerate uh, this type of behavior ever again as well. You repre- represent the Major League Baseball Umpires Union as well. Which league, I've always been curious about this, which league would you say has the more strict precautions for their umpires or referees, the NBA or Major League Baseball? You know, they both uh, do um, a very decent job, if you will, of, uh, you know, imposing various rules, et cetera. But I'd have to say probably uh, that the the NBA, um, uh, I think, prides itself on being uh, somewhat even overzealous in terms of uh, work rules and, how uh, these individuals should conduct themselves on, you know, dress code, et cetera. Um, you know, perhaps there's a little bit more flexibility on, uh, you know, the Major League Baseball side. 
Okay, that's interesting. I've always wondered that. Uh, speaking of the Major League Baseball Umpires Union, their contract, their labor agreement expires December 31st of this year. Is there any movement in those negotiations, or might we see a repeat of what's happening with the NBA negotiations? No, quite frankly, I am, uh, have no problem admitting that uh, our negotiating sessions with Major League Baseball have been quite productive, and they've moved and and gone about in a very professional manner. Uh, and I suspect that we will uh, wrap up uh, a new collective bargaining agreement well before December 31st. Do you have any of the same issues? I mean, you were talking earlier with the NBA about, you know, uh, the age of the the umpires and the referees and things like that is Major League Baseball. Are they looking for some of the same things, or are they not? Are those not issues for their league? I, I think some of the issues uh, we're finding as the 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 body that represents you know both of these groups and the majority of officials in professional sports, we're finding a, a lot of similarities uh, between uh, the concerns both of the referees uh, in the NBA and the umpires and of Major League Baseball, and the National Basketball Association. But I I must tell you that I'm finding, and I I can conclude, that the folks over Major League Baseball are a little bit more open to creative measures that do not hurt uh, the overall group in order for everyone to achieve what uh, they would like to see in a collective bargaining agreement. Last question, Lamel. NBA refs have not missed any action since 1995. That's a long time. What's your best guess as to how this all turns out? You know, I remain hopeful. Contrary to what you may read or hear, uh, I'll say it very clear. You know, it's it's not over yet. Uh, we're not due to be in camp until September 20th. And uh Last time I, I checked, we've got a few days until uh, until we reach that deadline. So I remain uh, hopeful and confident that we'll be able to come to the table and, and work this out. Lamel, I wish you the best of luck, and uh, I appreciate you coming on Sports Business Radio with us this week. Thank you, Brian. Thank you very much. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. We live in an age where everything is on the record. What we say anywhere, whether it's in an elevator, in an email, or during a conversation with a reporter, is now being broadcast instantaneously on YouTube, in a blog, or through the mass media. It's easier than ever to spot someone who has been traditionally media trained and is just giving you that same old boring PR speak. I want to help you navigate the tricky media landscape. When I'm not hosting Sports Business Radio, I team with former Nike PR director Lee Weinstein to form Evergreen Media Training. Evergreen Media Training assists individuals and groups by offering unique preparation and training catered to your specific needs. From explaining today's media environment to providing you with post-training monitoring and feedback, we'll guide you every step of the way. With nearly 40 years of combined experience working with some of the biggest names in the sports industry, we'll help you communicate your messages honestly, thoughtfully, and from the heart. For an overview and a list of services, visit evergreenmediatraining.com or email me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com. The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. Well, NFL fans whose local teams' games are blacked out will be able to watch replays online for free, though not until after midnight. The recession has left several teams in danger of having games blacked out this season, including the Cincinnati Bengals and the Arizona Cardinals this week. 
The league announced on Thursday that home fans will be able to view the delayed broadcast on NFL.com for 72 hours, except during Monday Night Football. Now, a game is not aired in the home market if it does not sell out 72 hours in advance. Nathan, uh, 247 of the 256 regular season games league-wide, that's 96% aired in the local market of the home team last year. Uh, It's been 95% for the last four years, 97% in 2006. The bottom line here is it is a rare day where an NFL game doesn't sell out 72 hours in advance. The blackout rule hasn't really had to come into effect, but I think we're going to see it more this year because of the troubled economy. We saw people not turn out to NFL preseason games. I know those are different, but watch this rule because if you're in the market of one of these teams, you may not be able to watch your team play on TV for the first time in a long time. Yeah, this is a real sign of the times, and it's unfortunate. As a sports fan, how frustrated are you if you're not able to see your local team play because the games didn't sell out? I mean, this I know that this has been set in place, but this is sort of ridiculous in my opinion. Well, it's the sign of the times, and you know most of the leagues do this. 72 hours is a little bit of... Uh, I think we might see that rule change to like 48 hours or even 24 hours, but we'll keep our eyes on that. All right, lots of thank yous this week. Lamel McMorris, he's the lead negotiator for the NBA referees and the Major League Baseball umpires. Appreciate him joining us. John Aurand, he's with the Sports Business Daily and Journal. He's their sports media reporter. You can read him online at sportsbusinessdaily or sportsbusinessjournal.com. Our show staff, Nathan Roach, Bobby Corser, Josh Blank. Darren Peck, Ron Barr, James Harrison, Doug Zanger. Our sponsors, the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon, Morton's The Steakhouse, and New School Media Coaching, a podcast reminder. You can catch our show on demand via podcast every week by going to sportsbusinessradio.com. Click on the podcast page. Remember, you can follow me during the week on Twitter, SB Radio. Go to our blog at sportsbusinessradio.com. You can become our Facebook friend. Enjoy your week. I'm Brian Berger for Nathan Roach and Bobby Corser. Have a terrific week. You've been listening to Sports Business Radio. Greg Oden of the Portland Trailblazers supports the Ronald McDonald Houses. I'm a big fan of the houses. Happy to help them make a difference. He helps because he believes every hospitalized child should be near their family in tough times. And everyone can support this home away from home. When you purchase a McCafe Espresso drink or premium roast coffee, McDonald's donates a portion of proceeds to Ronald McDonald House charities in Oregon and Southwest Washington. At participating McDonald's for a limited time. A little change can make a big difference.